From St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you all here this morning. I was reminded watching the Miami Dolphins game last night that I am so glad I don't live up north anymore. Minus 21 degrees, holy Toledo. Anyway, if I had to ask, if I had to ask you a question, say 100 people, right? 100 Publix checkers, for example. What did Jesus spend the most amount of time preaching about? What would they say? They'd probably say heaven or hell or sexual ethics or salvation or love. That's the biggie, love, undefined, whatever that means, love. What are all these things? Are these, what is the thing that's, that Jesus would spend the most time preaching on? What is his stump speech? What is his go-to? Love? Salvation? Heaven? Hell? Angels? His mom? None of it. The thing that Jesus spends the most amount of time on over everything else is money. I didn't know this until this past week. This is astounding to me. Jesus spends... 15% of his preaching time on money. And that's a lot more than I, I also, I'll share with you amongst friends here, I was deeply convicted this past week because I spend very little time on it. I strive to be a preacher of the gospel, to, see, to teach truth from this pulpit, and I don't go anywhere near 15% in my preaching time on talking about money. I failed you in that regard, and I'm sincerely apologetic in that regard. Jesus talks about money 15% of the time. The biggest single topic he talks about. And it begs the question, why? <laughs> well, why? Why does anybody spend a lot of time talking about something at all? Well, because it's important. And because, quite frankly, we all know this when you think about it, wealth and money has a huge impact on how we live and the choices that we make. I know it does for me, and I know it does for you too which is why Jesus spends so much time talking about it. Paul writes famously in 1 Timothy chapter 6, a frequently misquoted scripture, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I'm going to read it to you again. It's not say the, it doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what all the communists want you to believe. No, no, no. It's not what it says. It says the love of money. The love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. And he goes on to describe the self-inflicted wounds we commit on ourselves because of this idea of money. And notice something important here. Most people think of the love of money as people that have a lot of it. That may be true, but you can, love, you can have a lot of money and love it, and you can have a, no money and still really love it. And I would submit to you my own personal anecdotal experience that people that have no money and really love it are the ones that will sometimes go to the most desperate means to get it. The point, though, is that money, look, it's obvious. Money has a huge impact on how we live, our worries, our struggles, our aspirations, our self-identity, our worth, and the worth of other people, our security, what we can and cannot do. No wonder no wonder the Son of Man, the King of Kings, God himself, would spend so much time talking about money because it has so much impact on you and me. 
So I'm not going to do a deep dive on the theology of money tonight or today. I probably should, but I don't have the time for that. Instead, I'm going to focus on just one thing, given that we're in stewardship season and we're kind of had that on the brain for today. Uh, I want to look at money in terms of our giving, and specifically giving and our relationship with God and ourselves. Three things, three points today I want to talk about in giving to the church. Giving as an act of worship, point one. Giving as building trust in God, that's the most important, point two. And then giving as our duty in the body of Christ. Giving as worship, giving as building trust in God, and then giving as our duty. So first thing, giving as an act of worship. What does worship even mean? What does that word mean? What do you worship? You worship something which you aspire to be like. You worship something or someone who has something that you wish you had and you don't. You worship something that's bigger than you are, right? And we give, listen, worship, we worship what we love, and we give, listen, to what we love. Talked about this just last week, right? The wise men, the Magi from the East, these, you know, first century movers and shakers, these, these power people, right? Bring, they meet the baby Jesus, they fall down and they worship him, and what's the very first thing they do? They give, right? And it sounds weird, but we all know this is true. We love to give. We can't not give. Humans give to what we love. This past year on Christmas morning, we didn't open our presents until 1.30 in the afternoon, which was glorious, given all the days you have to get up first thing in the morning with little kids. My kids are grown. But man, I sat on the couch and I watched my family open gifts. I didn't open anything. I enjoyed, I had to more pleasure, more joy in watching them open gifts than even opening my own. Why? Well, simple. We give to what we love, and I love my family, amongst lots of other things. But there's a really interesting dynamic about giving that I want to maybe draw your attention to, which you probably never thought about. That the act of giving, the act of giving actually determines what you love. Let me say that again. The act of giving actually determines what you love. We tend to think of we love something, so we give to it, right? That's not true. This is counterintuitive, but it's the truth. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will go also. So you and I tend to think of things like, well, I love this thing and I'm going to give to it. That may be true. I, like, I really like electric guitars, for example. I buy them. I like them. I do. But actually what Jesus says is where your treasures, the things you give to, are actually the things that you begin to love. I mean, I'll give you an example, right? You ever buy a new car? Anybody ever buy a new car or a boat or a guitar or whatever it might be. Man, when you buy that new car, what do you do? You clean that car every single day, right? You check all the dust, you wipe it off, you, you use that armor all, whatever stuff you want to do on it. You spend all of your time focusing on that thing. Well, look, where does your heart go but the thing upon which you spent your money? This is my point. This is my point. What you spend your money on determines what you love. Don't miss that. And Jesus is challenging us with this question. Here's the biggie. Here is the biggie. Where do you want your heart to go? And the idea of heart, of course, biblically doesn't mean your emotions. It means like your guts, your core. Where do you want your focus to be? After all, from a Christian perspective, money is just a tool, right? Money is not an end in and of itself. It's a vehicle, a medium of exchange. 
the definition, but money is something that you use. Well, let me ask you a question. How do you want to use your money to build your faith? If you want faith that can move mountains, faith that can sustain you in a time when your life is falling apart, faith that will rub off and be contagious to those around you, faith that will give you joy, give to your church. Why? Because giving is an act of worship. All right, second point. Giving as an act of trust in God. This is a big one. This is actually what gets me. Let's back up for a second. This is a brand new year, 2024, right? And lots of people, maybe you, like to take time to sort of reassess where you are, right? Think of the things that you want to change going forward to this year, 2024, the famous New Year's resolution, which nobody ever keeps or very rarely keeps the whole thing. But think about the things you want to achieve in 2024, right? Lose weight, be kinder, get a new job, read more books. I downloaded this app called Blinkist. You ever heard of it? You can, you can read a whole book in 15 minutes. It's beautiful. But, but let me ask you a question. This is a, this is a big question. How many of you made a decision that in 2024 you want to grow in your faith? How many of you made a decision in 2024 that you want to grow in your faith? I mean, clearly you do. You're sitting here listening to me. Clearly you, some part of you at least, and maybe even just a small part, wants to grow in your faith. And after all, the reason is simple. Because a living faith in Jesus makes us patient and kind and tough and resilient and courageous and content and happy. If you don't want to grow in your faith, I don't know why you're here, frankly. But if you want it, but giving will actually increase your faith. How? Well, remember something important. The word for faith, pastuo in Greek, is the same as the word trust. So if you want to learn to, you want to, learn to have faith in God, whatever that means, you really want to learn to trust him. And how do you do that? Well, with the biblical standing of giving which is the tithe. What's a tithe? If you've never heard of it before, I'll tell you. The tithe is not just giving to the church. The tithe is giving 10% of your income to the work of the church. 10% of what you have get, get, you've been given, your salary, your income, whatever, back to the church. That's a big number. It's a big, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. Allocating 10% of your income to do so, you've got to make some significant decisions. You've got to make some significant changes. You've got to be intentional about it. Or put it another way, right? The tithe is when God says, you keep 90% of what belongs to me. I mean, imagine you were a money manager. Some of you were money managers or, or are or were. Imagine you were managing somebody else's wealth for them. And the money manager said to you, Bill, I'm going to make a deal. I want you to manage all of my money. And not only that, you can keep 90% of it, including the return. Just give me 10% back. That's the idea of Christian giving. It's a good deal, by the way, if you're a money manager. But, uh, but Christian stewardship is like being a money manager for God. A steward, a steward for God. A steward is someone who takes care of someone else's stuff. Christian giving is called stewardship because you are taking care of what God has given you, what he's entrusted you with. 
Because you see, and this is the important thing to realize, or else none of this will make any sense. Everything you have, everything you have, fundamentally comes from God. I mean, think about it. You had no, you had no decision in who your parents would be, or where you'd be born, or the skills you have innately and talents that you have. You had no, you had no decision whether you'd be born at all which these days is probably a 50-50 shot. Everything you have, your skills, your talents, your intellect, your parents, your raising, whatever, everything you have, friends, is a gift from God, an unearned and undeserved gift, which, by the way, is the definition of grace. So here's a question, and it's not a rhetorical one, it's a real one. What has God given you? There's a, a text which Jesus said way back 30 years ago, 25 years ago, I was considering going to seminary. I knew God was calling me to be a priest. I didn't want to do it. I mean, I, mean, I had a great job in the corporate world, making killer money. I was married. I had a kid. I had another one on the way. And I knew God had been calling me for years to go to seminary, and I put it off. I didn't want to go. Mainly for, just for worldly reasons, not because I didn't think it was called to it. I just, it was a big move. It's a big sacrifice. I, I, worked, I was working for Siemens Corporation. You might have heard of it. Little German company. I'd been working there for about eight years. I had a whole staff of IT guys making great money in the 90s. Anybody could make money in IT in the 90s. Uh, and uh, one day I came back from a staff meeting and I sat down. We just got done going through a project plan for a rollout. And I heard the following words. Chris... That's my first name. Chris, Chris, if you can do this for Siemens, you can do this for me. And I thought, oh. <laughs> I knew he was right. It's God. And that's why I'm here. Jesus says, to everyone who much is given, of him much will be required. Today, this morning, Paul says in Corinthians, this morning, you are not your own. As a Christian, you're not your own, man. You are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You know, as a Christian, you and I have obligations to serve God and to use what he has given us to serve him and his people. We are called to manage what he has given you. You are called to manage what he has given you. And the fact that he only requires 10% back is a bargain. It's generous from our God who gives without restriction. But giving also increases our faith. And I want to show you something here. See, our trust in God, our, God, our God's demand for a tithe comes with a really curious promise. I'm going to read it to you. It comes out of Malachi chapter 3. The tithe is a biblical principle through the entire Old Testament, all the way from Genesis through. In the book of Malachi, God says this. Listen closely to this. God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. It's grain, right? They're an agrarian culture. Um, God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house in the temple. Listen to this. And thereby, God says, put me to the test. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing of blessing. Thereby, put me to the test. You know what that means? That means to hold somebody accountable. That means to demand something from another person. In fact, you know, Jesus, when he's tempted in the, in, by Satan in the wilderness, Satan is tempting Jesus, and Jesus says, you've heard it said in Scripture, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
How dare you as a human presume that you can demand anything of God? That, is, that statement is always true except for one spot here. God says, you have no right. I'm God and you're not, and you have no right to demand anything of me. You have no right to hold me accountable except with a tithe. God says, if you tithe, I will rain down blessing upon you. And if that sounds like someone trying to pull a fast one to raise money, let me just challenge you on something. This really blew me away when I first heard this. God is actually wanting you to learn to trust him. That's the key to the whole thing. The tithe is for you to learn to trust him. And to do that, you've got to step out and see if he'll deliver. Let me give you an example. I finally did go to seminary, worked for Siemens, quit my job, packed up the fam, moved to Ambridge, Pennsylvania, a beautiful country town. No. <laughs> it's an old steel town. It's, anyway, that's another story. Anyhow, I've told this story before. If you've heard it before, indulge me for a moment. But I was, I don't know, 26 years old, making $30,000 a year with a family of four. I had a huge cut in what I was making, huge. And so anyhow, I'm working as the IT guy. Uh, my kids are on WIC. We were really, really poor, Kathy and I. And my daughter Amy, my oldest daughter, had fallen, had a cut on her head, had, needed to get stitches. $1,000 was the bill from the, from the hospital, $1,000. And I thought, holy Toledo, how am I going to pay this? Kathy, how are we going to pay this? I don't know. That's your job. Figure it out. So I'm like, what am I going to do? But we did tithe. I started tithing before seminary. All the way through, I tithed the entire way. A week or so later, I got a letter in the mail addressed to me. I open it up. It says, Dear Chris, I'm writing this note to you. Uh, a guy named Mike Hillenbrand, his real name, by the way. I says, Dear Chris, I'm writing this letter and sending this to you as my tithe on my bonus. He was a DBA. Here is a check for you for $1,000. He had no idea about the bill for Amy's stitches. You know what that taught me? That taught me, put the money part aside, the money is secondary. What that taught me is that I had trusted God and he delivered. He kept his word. This is the point of the tithe, you see. Tithing teaches us to trust God, to hold him accountable. Think about that. I still, friends, tithe to this parish. You need to know that. You need to know that I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And I do. 10% of my income goes to the, this parish, to Trinity Episcopal Church, every week for our work together. My clergy, Father Gritter, Father Jordan, they tithe 10% of their income for this parish and for our work together. If you don't know this, every member of your vestry the vestry is responsible for the, for the financial aspect of the parish. Every member of your vestry tithes. Every one of them gives 10% of their income to the work of this church for our work together. Here's another one. Just under, last year, don't have the numbers for this year yet, just last year in 2023, just under 40%, might have been 38, 39%, can't recall. Just under 40% of our pledges last year were tithes. That's astounding, and it continues to grow. You know, it's funny, Trinity Church has been the fastest-growing parish in the diocese for years. It was almost dead about 12 years ago. I go to clergy conferences. People say to me, hey, Father, how do you, how'd you turn that around down there? You've done a great job at Vera Beach. What have you done? I said, simple. You know what I do? What? I preach tithing. 
And the reason that's so important is it's not for the money part. It's that people actually learn to trust God here. It changes people. Because if we learn when you tithe that God keeps his word, don't take my word for it. Although I'm telling, what I'm telling you is my own experience. Ask your clergy. Ask your vestry. Ask one of the 40% of the people in this parish that already does it. I've got speakers lined up for the next couple of weeks to tell their own stories about how they were tithing and God proved to them that he was faithful. Because see, the, the reality is that tithing, tithing's tough. It's hard. You literally have to trust God to keep his word. But that's the point, because he always does. I will tell you this, and I'm going to wrap up with the tithing part. I'm going to tell you this. I have never met anyone in my life who tithed and regretted it. I've never met one. I've met people that tithe and couldn't do it. That's another matter. I've never met someone who tithed and regretted it. I've met lots of people who refuse to tithe. Okay, fine, that's, your, that's on you, not me. It's scary. I admit it. I was there. But learning to trust God is like learning to trust anybody else. It requires risk. It requires to step out. And that's scary. But I've never met someone who tithed and regretted it. Let me challenge you as your rector, for your sake, try it. Take the challenge. See if God will not rain down blessing on you. I don't know how it'll do it, but he will. That I guarantee. It might be financial, it might be relational, all sorts of ways. But one thing I know for, with 100% certainty, you will not know the blessing that God will give you until you try it, until you, until you do it. Because giving to God increases our faith and trust in him. And then finally, giving as a member of the body of Christ. Just to cut to the chase here, right? We are supported by pledges by the members of this parish. Trinity Church does not receive any money from outside the diocese. In fact, it goes the other way. If you give, we can do. If you don't give, we can't. It's pretty much, it's that simple. And as Christians, you know, as Christians, we have a responsibility to shape our culture. We have a responsibility, a duty, an obligation to shape our culture. If we don't fix the culture, who will? The government? The school board? Who? Google? Okay, good luck. <laughs> the work we do here is the most important work in the world. We are in the conversion business. You know, there are lots of nonprofits in this town. Many of them I support in addition to my tithe. And we, if you look at the people on those boards that serve in those nonprofits, CareNet, for example, you're going to find Christians. You want to have people that are going to change the world, you're going to find Christians. You'll find a lot of them. Because we are in the man and woman power business. You can only change a culture with changed people, and you can only change people by the grace and love of Jesus. Amen? That's our mission. That's the mission. Simple, right? That's the mission. And my question this morning for us as the body of Christ, which we are called to be, is will you join it? Will you join joyfully in that mission? God loves a cheerful giver. Will you join me in the most important work a person can do to bring Jesus to others into a saving relationship with him? Because look, it's up to us. It's up to you. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, to the ministry to which you have called us. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be members of the body of Christ, your Son. 
We stand in awe. We stand in awe that you allow us to challenge you, to hold you accountable, to, to give us, to pour down blessing upon us if we tithe. We thank you, Father, for this promise. We thank you, Lord, for the provisions you give to all of us and for the gifts you rain down upon us every day. Help us to be joyful and thankful in all that we do and to give with joyful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook. 